At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. A warmer Philly low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and we've got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. We're going to be joined by Holden Kushner. He does an incredible job here at the network. He does our Denver City Cast, and when it comes to what we wind up doing here at Beeson, one of my favorite things are these City Casts because you're able to take a look at sports betting from a local perspective. Holden does the one for the city of Denver, Colorado. We've got Detroit, Los Angeles. You're able to throw in there Washington, D.C., New York, Chicago. list goes on and on. And with Holden, obviously, we got to talk a little bit about the Colorado Rockies since they're the biggest underdog on the board. And we're going to take a look at just being able to evaluate these games which have big, giant, chalky money lines as I do this. The Braves are opening right around like a minus 330 to a minus 340 favorite. So we'll talk about that. We'll also take a look at teams that may or may not have value in terms of the futures market as well. And we're going to be diving into a little bit of what we're going to be seeing on Tuesday as well. So we've got a lot to chat about with Holden. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Tuesday as we touch them all. First things first, always do love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. And we got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M. They mean does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way, it is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like here on this podcast via that five star review. Only question I wound up getting in today was, is things going to be saying the same on this podcast? Because 
Many of you guys know I also do the Greg Peterson experience right here at VEASAN, and for the most part, things are going to be staying the same. The recaps, you're going to find out. I have to record this a little bit earlier since the new show, the Greg Peterson Experience, well, not the new show, but the new time for the Greg Peterson Experience has been expanded before I was doing just Saturdays and Sundays for the most part. Now, we are going Monday through Friday. It is midnight to 3 a.m. Eastern Time, which is Pacific Time, 9 p.m. to 12. If you're out there on the West Coast, that is Sunday through Thursday. If you're out there on the East Coast, Monday through Friday. So, some of these recaps, they are going to be a little bit shorter. I'm not going to have all the games that are going to be final, but what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to try to take a look at more highlights in general, and then with the Greg Peterson experience, which you're able to catch on VSIN, we got you guys covered there as well. So we've got sort of two shows doing a good job taking a look at baseball, and obviously on the Greg Peterson experience, we're going to be talking a little bit of football when we get to college basketball season, a whole bunch on that, and obviously Coast to Coast Soups, my other podcast, that is all dedicated to college basketball, but there will still be plenty of baseball on there because I am a believer that no matter what you're betting on, whether it be college football, the NFL, baseball, Formula One, tennis, golf, list goes on and on. There's money to be made. If you think that you've got a winner, that is all that matters in my opinion. And as long as you are profitable, well, every single bet, whether it is in the game of football or if it is in an ancillary sport, it all winds up counting the same. So have no fear there. So you're actually getting more baseball coverage, just a little bit less of a recap on this podcast, but so we'll be coming at you guys every single single day throughout the baseball season like I did last offseason. I'm not going to do every single day during the baseball offseason, but in season, every single day, you're going to be getting picks and analysis. So have no fear there. And let's dive into everything that we did wind up seeing on Monday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Not able to give you too many of the finals, but I can tell you what most of the stars wound up doing. And there were some rough starts out there. As Let's take a look at the game that did wind up going final as the Miami Marlins for the 26th time in the last 28 days. They failed to wind up exceeding four runs. Three to two, the LA Dodgers get it done. Tony Gonsolin winds up going on the injured list prior to the start, by the way, as Michael Grove gets the start, and he was grooving along. He gives up two runs of four and two-thirds innings for not knowing he was going to get the start until last second. Not too bad. From there, bullpen at his back. David Price, Chris Martin, they combined for three outs out of the bullpen. Craig Kimbrell was able to give a one and a third inning. Scoreless, a rarity. And then Caleb Ferguson, Evan Phillips, Phil Bickford. They all give you a scoreless inning apiece for the Dodgers. They go just one of eight with men in scoring position, but Will Smith gets shiggy with it. He goes deep off of Pablo Lopez for his 19th home run season for Mr. Lopez. Not a bad start. Two runs surrendered in six innings, even though it's a pitcher-friendly ballpark going against the Dodgers. That's all. And the bullpen did their part as well, as you had Tanner Scott, Stephen Oker, Dylan Floral. I'll give you a scoreless inning. And then Uskar Brazobin, who winds up coming in in the 10th inning. He loves an unearned run. Reason why the Marlins wind up losing this game is very simple. You go 1 of 13 with runners in scoring position, and you deserve to lose. As I am doing this podcast, we are going into the 11th inning between the Chicago Cubs and the Toronto Blue Jays. 4 to 4 the count in this one as Javier Assad. Five scoreless innings for the Chicago Cubs. He had a complete and utter masterpiece in terms of stranding men on base the last time he wound up facing off against the St. Louis Cardinals. He did so once again here against the Toronto Blue Jays. The regression monster is coming, and he is hungry for Mr. Javier Assad. Meanwhile, Jose Barrios... After a pair of relatively solid starts, it was not great in this one. Four runs given up in five and two-thirds eggs. Now, the Blue Jays' bullpen has actually been really good. As Taking a look right now. Tim Mesa wanted coming in for an out of the bullpen. Anthony Bass, Adam Simber, Jordan Romano, Yimmy Garcia. They all lend a scoreless setting for the Chicago Cubs. Bullpen has been suspect. 
Eric Yeoman winds up having his ERA go up to a 371. He gives up three runs in an inning as going deep for the Toronto Blue Jays. Danny Jansen, 11th home run of the season. Then he did wind up having Manuel Rodriguez give up a run in one and two-thirds innings. Brandon Hughes, he can see four outside the bullpen, scoreless. And then Mark Leiter Jr. winds up being able to lend a scoreless inning. You wind up seeing Madison Baumgartner, by the way, for his sixth straight start, give up at least four runs. As I am recording this, the Phillies are up by a count of four to zero. As Mabum had four runs already given up by the end of the third inning, so things not necessarily going great there. Phillies have just been knocking the ball around the yard, and Ranger Suarez, who had been posting up right around a buck sixty ERA post All Star break, he is currently rolling. As I wind up doing this podcast, you did wind up having for the San Francisco Giants a rare bad start from Carlos Rodon as he winds up giving up three runs in the first inning. It's Brandon Drury wound up taking him deep. So we're going to be taking a look at some of these big favorites in a minute, but certainly a interesting case study there. You did wind up having the St. Louis Cardinals in the Cincinnati Reds game wind up suffering through a bunch of rain delays. Don't know if this is going to be restarting or not, but as I'm doing this 12 to 4 with the St. Louis Cardinals, if they wind up losing this game, I will just eat crow. But for Chase Anderson, he winds up getting four outs and he gives up five runs, all of which were earned as the St. Louis Cardinals were going up against the curse of Sunday Night Baseball because teams coming off of Sunday Night Baseball and then they wind up playing on Monday. When they hit the road, they had been 3 and 11 this season and 6 and 15 overall, but the Cardinals. They put an end to that as hopefully if you want him taking the over in this game, it does wind up getting restarted because Tyler O'Neill he gets two home runs in this one. So three in the last two games from home runs number 11 and 12 of the campaign for him. He winds up going deep off of Anderson and then Hunter Strickland gives one up as the Cincinnati Reds have had to use up pretty much every bullpen piece that they've got. As Strickland gives up two runs in an inning. Revier said Martin, he gives up two runs, one of which was earned in an angel. Kuno scores setting out of him, but Ross Setweiler, he was really the only guy not named Alexis Diaz that had a sub 3-5 bullpen ERA and now he is back up north of a ERA of a 4 as he allows 3 runs in 1 and 2 thirds innings and he wound up allowing home run as going deep off of him. That would be Mr. Albert Pools. 15th home run season. The watch for home run number 700 is on with him as Miles Michaelis on his world's greatest start as he did wind up allowing 4 runs in 4 and a third innings. The Reds took him deep 3 times as Stuart Fairchild's home run number 4 of the season. He did wind up having TJ Friedel get home run number three, and Chucky Robinson was able to get his first home run of the season, but that's where we're seeing going down there, and Corbin Burns, boy, the burn is not great right now. Five to three. The Pittsburgh Pirates going to the bottom of the seventh were leading the Brewers. As for Corbin Burns, he had that just cataclysmically bad start against the LA Dodgers where he gave up seven runs in three and two-thirds innings. He allows five runs in six innings, and you've got to be fearing that things are starting to fall off for him as he allowed a pair of home runs. Oniel Cruz, home run number 11 of the season, and Rodolfo Castro gets home run number five. And this is the second straight start, by the way, that Corbin Burns allowed at least four runs against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Bryce Wilson, the starter for the Pirates, he wound up lying three runs and three innings himself. From there, you've had Eric Sout and Johan Ramirez piecemeal together three scoreless innings. So we shall see how that one winds up going. But that was another one of those big giant minus $3 favorites that I'll be hitting upon in a minute that have just not been good in general. And for the Minnesota Twins, they did a relatively solid job of being able to jump on Boston starter Brian Bayo as Bayo winds up giving up three runs over the course of his four innings. And 
For the Boston Red Sox, they did wind up getting a little bit out of Reese McGuire, who they wound up picking up off the scrap heap. And this is a Red Sox team that post all-star break. They have got the worst ERA in the big leagues. And Dylan, don't call him Al Bundy. Two runs surrendered in four and two-thirds innings for the Minnesota Twins. But I did find it to be very interesting because we're going to have a north of a $3 favorite tomorrow with the Atlanta Braves. On top of that, you wound up having a $3 favorite with the Milwaukee Brewers that at the time of this podcast, not necessarily looking great for them. And this was three... And this was tweeted out by Jared Smith, who does absolutely amazing work over there at PicksWise. Minus $3 or higher MLB favorites going into Monday. 43 and 23 straight up, which you're thinking, oh, they're hitting at north of a 65% clip. That's really good. Most people on hashtag gambling Twitter would love to go 43 and 23, but when you're laying that sort of juice, not profitable, as you would be down if you bet all these favorites. $1,021 and you do wind up doing that same math because when you have a minus $3 favorite, you've got to be getting at least a plus 250 on these teams that you're going to be taking a look at as well. So that winds up being able to help you out. So if you wind up having those exact same bets wind up taking place, you would be currently up $1,450 if all of them just across the board were plus 250. Not to mention if you wind up getting plus 275, plus 280. In some cases, we've seen a couple $3 underdogs as well. So I do think that it is very important to be taking a look at some of these underdogs. And if you're taking a look at baseball right now, obviously we are doing this as we've got a lot of games in the balance for Monday, but it certainly has been a situation where we have been seeing quite a few unders all season long, and we've been seeing quite a few unders over the last 30 days as well. As overall for the season, MLB unders have been hitting right in the pocket about 517 51.8%, depending upon where you look. As of right now, 933 unders to 871 overs for the season, with home favorites being really the demonstrative favorites. As favorites overall, hitting at 59.7%, but home favorites, they are 716 and 474 straight up. So hitting at a little bit over 60%. Meanwhile, with those home favorites, I know that Jared wanted pointing this out as well. If you've taken every favorite at home on the money line this season, you'd be down over $1,000. But if you took them on the run line, you would actually be up money and vice versa with regards to some of these run line underdogs as well. The run line of plus a run and a half has been very solid. And I mean, we're seeing that right now with these home favorites. We have seen 218 of them fail to cover the run line. Some of these are because of the games that you do wind up having rain delays, called off early, things of this nature, but certainly a big giant number there. And if you take a look at the last 30 days of Major League Baseball, 200 unders to 183 oversights, 52.2% to the under and favorites in the time span, 60.4% at rate, 247 and 162 with home favorites in the time span, 154 and 89. And with a little bit of a change in schedule, I do plan on doing a little bit more like I want of doing a deep dive on some of these big favorites today. So that's something that I'm looking to implement. So once again, questions, segment ideas, what have you. So let's all be having to do this a little bit earlier at GUnit underscore 81 on Twitter. And please do keep in mind with the Greg Peterson experience, you're getting more baseball. So hopefully that is a little bit of a booster with having to preempt some of these previews. But coming up next, we never wind up getting preempted by this gentleman as we've got our good friend Holden Kushner. He does a great job over there at Rum Beer Bets, Rum Beer Sports, along with the Denver CityCast. Going to be taking a look at today's Rockies versus Braves game. We're going to be taking a look at teams in general that are probably going to be making the postseason that we're finding to be a little bit untrustworthy right now and so much more. That's right here on the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the VC Family Podcast. 
breaking down every game every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. We're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the VEASAN Family Podcast, and it is great to be joined by our guests. Something great that we do over here at VEASAN is our CityCast, taking a look at sports betting from a little bit of a local perspective, and Holden, he does a great job with the Denver CityCast, and on top of that, he's over there at Run Pure Sports and Run Pure Bets, taking a look at both the betting perspective in terms of baseball and football, but on top of that, does a lot of DFS as well, and you find him often filling in here at the network, doing a great job. I see him a lot of weekends, as he always does a great job of being able to bring the goods, and I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot of Holden this football season as to be able to follow him on Twitter. That is at Holden Radio, H-O-L-D-E-N Radio. And Holden, great to have you aboard. Thank you. G-Unit, it's wonderful to be with you again. That's right. Uh, I went off on the Rockies today, as a matter of fact. So if anybody is interested in listening to a little five-minute soliloquy on how pissed off I am at that organization and uh, really Denver, absolutely hating ownership, but they have the best ballpark. Like if you've ever been to Coors Field, and if you haven't, you're totally missing out. They packed this place with 35000 a night, fifth worst team in baseball in my estimation. It's absolutely remarkable how bad this organization is here. It's too sad. But boy, Coors Field, get out there, Peterson. It's time. I absolutely will need to. I might need to delay that until 2023 because the football season is upon yeah. us. And on top of that, I would rather see a team that has a little bit more of an opportunity of being able to win. And even though I don't necessarily think that the Colorado Rockies on Tuesday necessarily have the world's greatest chance to win, we've just gotten out of line with some of these money lines, like as we're doing this right now for the Rockies yeah. and the Braves game that is going to be going down on Tuesday. The Atlanta Braves are in some spots as high as a minus 350 favorite. You know, we get the Rockies at right around about a plus 290 and a plus 305. And I know you're a big advocate of this as well. If you do like the Atlanta Braves and you think that the Rockies will have been really the worst team in the big leagues on the road this season are going to get destroyed. There are so many ways to wind up betting on the Atlanta Braves that doesn't involve taking this big, giant, chalky money line. Meanwhile, if you like the Colorado Rockies, you're able to get relatively good value. And when you wind up getting up to right around plus 305, which I'm right now finding at Circa, all you need to do is have the Rockies win one out of four times for you to be able to make a little bit of money on that plus 305. Talk to me a little bit about how you wind up gauging some of these big money lines because I'm sure that we're going to be seeing a lot of them down the stretch, and we've got one here for Tuesday. I had a spite bet. You've never heard of a spite bet because only idiots do them. Uh, over at Run Pure, we often argue with each other, and uh, I, I was saying Trout was going to hit a home run, and the other guys go, no, Ross Stripling's going to. And I said, you know what? Screw this. Plus 230, I'm putting a half unit down on the Angels, and I hope they beat the Yankees. Do I think they're going to beat the Yankees? Absolutely not. Do I hope they beat the Yankees? Yes. Things will work out very well for you. It was nice to see, my friend. Oh, it certainly was nice to see. And we But it was the Blue Jays, so don't worry about it. Right, we've got to talk about the Blue Jays because something that we were talking about off air is taking a look at some of these teams that we are evaluating and – when it comes to some of these teams that it looks like they're going to be in the postseason, like the Blue Jays, there's a chance that they could wind up falling out of the postseason picture, mm-hmm. but they should be there. The Yankees, they're a team that they will be in the playoffs, but they've been less than trustworthy. How do you wind up taking a look at some of these teams that just over the last, we're going to call it month and a half, ever since the All-Star break, they have been less than reliable, and yet you're still laying these chalky prices. Like for the Blue Jays, it was minus 230 to minus 240 on Jose Barrios 
on Monday with the New York Yankees who are finding them more around minus 170. It just is very perplexing because you know that the Yankees and the Blue Jays have more talent than the Angels and the Cubs, but they just can't seem to get out of their own way. No, Bobachette has really kind of gone into a shell lately. Very inconsistent with Vladdy, little daddy Vladdy. And then remember the catcher position at the beginning of the year, they were superstars, all of them. Danny Jansen, obviously Kirk, another guy. Well, you're not getting that production out of there now. It has slowed down quite a bit. So that's one thing to look at. And then the other side, I think you've got to focus on their pitching, right? So Manoa's come down to earth on more than one occasion, I would say. So you've got him. You talk about Barreos. Ultimately, more than anything else, I'm not worried about the offense. I'm worried about the pitching. Are these starters like Gosman? Fine. Gosman, we know Gosman. Is Manoa going to be able to put the extra miles on his arm as they get to the playoffs, which I think will happen. Barreos has not had a good year. Kikuchi's a joke. Stripling's a guy that'll probably be a number four starter, long reliever. I've got a couple question marks with the rotation right now behind Gosman. Oh, I'm right there with you. As you're going to be on the podcast, we do have Holden Kushner. does a great job over here with the Denver CityCast along with Run Peer Bets and Run Peer Sports. And just taking a look at the Toronto Blue Jays, they've got a less than trustworthy rotation. And we're seeing this with a lot of teams right now that they are starting to make that postseason push. I do feel a little bit about that way with like the Philadelphia Phillies. Whenever Kyle Gibson winds up getting his start, he's really the lone albatross. I've been starting to trust in Rangers for us who he wanted going Monday night. As of the time of this recording, we don't know how he did, but he was starting to round into form as well. But there are just a few teams out there that they've got really good frontline starters. And then the back half of the rotation, it's just very troubling. And I do think that that is something to take a look at in terms of postseason because a team like the Blue Jays might be able to get by in a three-game wild card because you have a trot out there, your main two guys, Kevin Gosman, Alec Manoa from there. If you've got a home game, Jose Barrios is not bad. A road game, Jose Barrios is absolutely terrible, but you wind mm. up just pretty much piecemealing things together from there. You can get by in three games, but when you wind up getting into those five and seven game series, that is very befuddling. And I do think that it is very important to take a look at depth this time of year in terms of a lot of these playoff teams if you're looking to fire on some futures. Yeah. And one other thing you just mentioned, Barrios. And I thought he had a couple of nice starts. He got it against the Yankees and the Red Sox. And they went right back to getting rocked last night uh, against the Cubs. He gave up 10 hits and four runs. <laughs> Barrios, I mean, a lot of us thought he'd give a little bit more change of scenery, but that has not happened whatsoever, has it? So a little disappointing with him. And going from there, what else did you want to talk about, Peterson? Uh, just taking a look at some of these teams in terms of a futures perspective, in terms of taking a look okay. at depth, because I do think that that is very important. And we wind up seeing it pop up every single year. Look no further than the Dodgers last year when their pitching just wanted getting completely depleted and thus they wind up losing to the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, I think the best teams really are the deepest teams, aren't they? Let's look at Houston for a second. They went out and they got Mancini, Trey Mancini, just adding to their depth. I mean, the guy hasn't even played every day from time to time. So I think that is fascinating. We're going to have to see what's going on with Verlander though, right? That'll, that Haven't we been talking about the Astros having like six starting pitchers? Well, McCullers is back and McCullers might have to be asked to do a little bit more uh, depending on what happens with Verlander. Same thing with the Braves. Deep team, Mets, super deep team. I want to get your thoughts, though, on the Cardinals and the Yankees. Those, those are my two teams. I'm still going back and forth on the Cardinals. I think there's a massive upside there. They have been playing such good baseball in the second half. Their offense, especially against the lefties, they're just crushing. Let me get your thoughts, because those are two teams. I think the teams ahead of them, the Mets, the Astros, the Braves, the Dodgers. But I think the Cardinals and the Yankees are the two that are perplexing me right now. 
With the Yankees, it's a case where I've got to believe that the offense is going to get online going into Monday. They'd scored four runs or fewer, and I believe it was 15 out of their last 17 games. might have been 15 out of their last 18, but they've been in a struggle. And with the Yankees, you could still feel good about the bullpen. They're still in the top two in terms of bullpen ERA. And with the Cardinals, I think it's just a case in which I can't see them getting by all those NL East teams, but I do Mm -hmm. think that they're going to be a big giant pest. I sort of look at them the same way I looked at them last season. Not a team that I would necessarily want to fire on to be able to win the World Series in terms of a future, but a team that from a game-to-game perspective, I think is going to be able to have quite a bit of value because you do have a lot of veterans like an Adam Wainwright, which I mean, Adam Wainwright, 42-year-old, it's not necessarily the world's greatest ordeal there, but still, even with an advanced age Adam Wainwright, he's still able to do a relatively solid job. And you mentioned the offense and what they're able to do. Question is, do they wind up going up against a healthy Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer, which I think could be a little bit of a kryptonite for them. So I took a look at the Cardinals and not necessarily from a futures perspective, from a game to game perspective, I think they lend a lot of value. Yeah. I'm just looking at the Cardinals saying to myself, Wainwright seems to get it done all the time. Even in the playoffs, I think he can do it. Mikolas, if he can finish strong with Montgomery, now you got a one, two, three, you can roll out there and just hope that your offense can pick you up. But those three guys will keep you in the game. It's not a DeGrom Scherzer situation where those guys are expected. Like you put the W there and if the other team beats them in the playoffs, wow, that's a series shifter, right? As far as the Yankees go, it's been a slide. I still feel like they can bounce back. The talent's there. Maybe they're not as great as they were in the first half, but Greg, they're not as bad as they are. I agree with you. And I do think that the Astros, they are still a leg up on the New York Yankees, even if Justin Verlander is a little bit banged up right now. We shall see the extent of that injury. I still would put the Astros just ahead of the Yankees, just in terms of what we've been able to see out of the starting pitching. And the one thing that has me feeling bad about the Yankees that's joining me on the podcast, we do have Holden Kushner, is that I just feel like they made a big mistake at the trade deadline, trading away Jordan Montgomery. I know that there's a lot of buzz that Harrison Bader is going to be better out there in the field than Aaron X and Aaron X. has much blind out there in New York, and no. I can't necessarily say wrongfully so, but I just have to question – giving up a starting pitcher for a little bit more defense. A guy in Harrison Bader, he's fine with the bat. It's nothing great. It's nothing terrible. But I feel like that was the most perplexing move at the trade deadline. And it's one that I really feel like is nipping the Yankees in the butt, especially with them dealing with a few injuries of their own. Yeah, and they got to get Stanton out there too. I mean, let's face it. This guy's missed another season, half a season. He's going to end up playing in what? How how many games? 100? (laughs) It's amazing. The guy I'm shocked with is Judge though. And Judge might play a whole season. There was an odds boost on Bet Rivers, and it was Aaron Judge to hit 60-plus home runs. And I remember I was hosting on the network, on the mothership. I said, there's no way I'm backing this, not because Judge can't do it, but Judge can't stay healthy. Well, the dude stayed healthy this year, hasn't he? But back to the trade on the pitching side, I'm having a hard time quantifying what that was. Like in the American League, and really I can't say in the American League anymore, in baseball. In baseball, you know, Jordan Montgomery – a lefty that isn't going to blow it by you when you get to the playoffs. Is that a guy that you can really rely on? I think so. My bigger concern is Garrett Cole, but I don't see that the rotation just got jackknifed because Montgomery's out of there. They still got five guys that can roll out. They certainly do. But even if you do wind up having another injury that winds going down, because they're also hoping to have Luis Severino back towards the latter half of the regular season as well. It is one of those cases where I just mentioned it with the LA Dodgers, a team that, They wound up having injury upon injury during the postseason. They would have loved to have had someone that they could have trotted out there like a Jordan Montgomery to be able to eat a few innings and 
part of the reason why the pitching wound up going down in a fiery heap last season as well was the fact that you wound up having Julio Rios come out of the bullpen. That's a discussion for another day because that was one of the dumbest things I had ever seen in the postseason. You just completely messed up the series when you wound up trying to do that. But I do think that that is something really to take note of right now. And I do think that it's going to be fascinating to gauge both the Cardinals and the Yankees here a point throughout the rest of the regular season and into the postseason, because I certainly do think that both are going to be able to get there. But in terms of what we're seeing on Tuesday as well, we went through one game with the Rockies and the Atlanta Braves, just the absolutely chalky Monday line of the Atlanta Braves. Is there anything else that's really catching your eye in terms of this Tuesday? Because we're starting to get to that point of the season where we're getting a lot of matchups where it's either big bomber, like the Dodgers versus the Mets, where you've got two really good playoff teams that mm-hmm. are going to be in for a tremendous matchup. And then you wind up having, we were talking about the Cardinals playing against the Cincinnati Reds, where the Reds are finding themselves a plus 180 underdog at home, trotting out there just and done. So anything really peaking your eye right now? Well, I had the Cardinals run line. The second that I knew Chase Anderson was going to the mound, like this guy was on a couch. He's a minor league pitcher at this point in his career. So it's looking good. I mean, they're up eight, nothing as we tape this pod. I'm not a big run line better, but there's certain teams that I don't feel scared are going to burn me that are minus two, you know, 75. I'm still not going to lay that on the money line, but if I can get minus 130 or a better price than that on a run line, then I'll back these teams. And you, they're the one that told you like, go look at the Dodgers on the run line. I was doing your show one time and I said, oh my God, well, I've been on that quite a bit here in the second half of the season. Now I was looking at the Yankees looking at a plus 148 for the angels at home. Like how can you really trust the Yankees at this point? Right? I can't, I would at least put thought into the angels plus 148. It's one of those games that at least should raise eyebrows. Right? So my question for you would be, what are you looking for when you're backing a plus 250 dog is it just hey i'll bet this three times and if it hits once it you know if it hits you know one out of two times i'm good and i'm going to move on is there anything in particular that you look for for me it's the starting pitching that's the first thing i look at jamison tyone is going to the mound as well jamison tyone uh, that offense is really bad at the angels isn't it but jamison tyone doesn't scare me the question is what is this kid that's going to the mound for the angels going to bring so i will i will dig into that game in the morning, no doubt. And I do think that when it comes to taking a look at some of these big underdogs as well, taking a look at the bullpens this year has been interesting as oh, yeah. well because they've dried up recently. But a big reason why I was backing the Baltimore Orioles quite a bit, and especially if you're a better that takes a look at getting a run and half, is because the bullpen has been lights out for them. You could wind up having someone like a Spencer Watkins who's going out there tomorrow, Jordan Lyles, you're able to insert your Baltimore Orioles starter here wind up giving up three runs of five innings. But if the bullpen winds up keeping it to right around like a four to three, a five to four sort of game, that gives you a chance to be able to win one of those big plus money tickets with the Detroit Tigers. Their team has been a little bit befuddling, but I've backed them a little bit recently, mostly because the Texas Rangers, I mean, I hate they them. gave up 20 runs in the final two games of that series to a historically bad Detroit yeah. Tigers lineup on the road. Thank you, Dallas going. Koji Iahara for that, but in another spot that I'm going to be taking a look at in terms of an underdog, not it's so much of a bigger underdog, but to your point of starting pitching, 
Brady Singer against Lucas Giolito and White Sox oh, yeah. versus Royals with the Royals right around a plus 120. Brady Singer has been lights out, and Lucas Giolito has been a bum with a north of six ERA at home this season. It's managed by a buffoon. I don't know what I'm missing here, but being able to get a plus 120 seems like good value on Brady Singer. Yeah, I like that. That's you know, that's just, that's not even, hey, good value. That's Brady Singer's out there. You know, maybe you look at a first five there too. I don't want to, I don't want to put, you, you're talking about bullpens. I don't want to mess with the bullpen. <laughs> With the Royals right there, right? Huge live better. I think I've told you that before. So you were mentioning the bullpens. The bullpens are just about as important as it gets when it comes to live betting. You're looking for the right number. There's certain teams. There's only a certain amount of teams that I'm actually looking at betting on a night. I won't even screw with a lot of games. Like if it's the Dodgers and the Mets, it's a great game to have on TV, but how am I going to exploit a bullpen there? I still don't think the algorithm in the live betting, if it does account for bad bullpens, it doesn't do it enough. I don't think it's in there. And I have learned just to hone in. Let's go smash these bullpens. Let's go target the Rockies bullpen. Let's go target the Reds bullpen. I mean, there's quite a few really, really (laughs) bad ones out there. Washington, the Royals. Okay. So this would be my issue with taking the plus 120. I would see what the money line is on the first five. So at least I can get that. It's not like the White Sox bullpen's any good. They're probably a bottom half. But boy, that that can't see bullpen's trash too. And to your point, in doing the Saturday edition of the Greg Peterson experience throughout the summer, I always wind up getting stuck with Arizona Diamondbacks games during my show. And the one thing that I always give out live is, is, is oh, it's yeah. like, all right, the Arizona Diamondbacks total keeps on dropping, dropping, dropping. But mm-hmm. other than Joe Mantiply, you're not going to get anyone out there that is trustworthy at all for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Look at the live over, and more often than not, that would be able to hit and hit very easily. So to your point of having certain teams that you wind taking a look at in terms of live betting, I know that there are a lot of people that, to your point about Dodgers versus Mets, they're not necessarily targeting a total with the Dodgers, but if the Dodgers get down by a run, it's a way to be able to cheapen up some of those big giant money lines that you wind up getting. That's been an, an angle that I've been seeing from a lot of people to be able to reduce the juice. I certainly don't hate on that, especially with the way that this Dodgers offense has been performing. So there are a lot of ways to be able to exploit value and hold in. You always do a great job. I'll be able to find these angles. You do an amazing job over here at Beeson with the Denver City Cast. And on top of that, Rumpier Best, Rumpier Sports do amazing work on that front as well. Love the good people at home. Know it's all on tap for you. And now people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah. If you are a betting baseball, I'll still have some Rockies bets out there. It's just about time to go into NFL mode 100%. So if you're thinking about betting a Broncos game, if you want to dig into it more, check my show out, Denver City Cast, presented by Bet Rivers. You can follow me on Twitter, at Holden Radio. I've been sitting here on 15 plus thousand followers for two years now. Just get me to six. I think I need like 40 more followers to get to 16,000. Get me there. Go listen to the podcast. Hit me up on Twitter if you ever want to talk baseball, because I'm pretty easy to talk with. That Twitter people. At Holden Radio, H-O-L-D-E-N, and then the word radio. All together, no spaces, no underscores. Go get this man to that even (laughs) number so that way we can end our national tragedy. But It is a national tragedy. We're going to start taking days off from work if this continues. It's a good line. It's like the person that keeps on saying, I'm going to draw Jimmy G until he winds up getting traded. Well, there's going to be a lot of Jimmy G posters slash drawings that are going to be happening. So it's sort of hilarious. But with that said, Holden, he is both hilarious and very insightful. He always delivers the goods on this podcast. And 
The Denver City Cast is a must download and a must listen. You're able to get that wherever you get your podcast. And whenever he joins this podcast, always does amazing work. Big thanks to Holden Kushner for joining me right here on the Baseball Winning Show, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board. What does MLB Tuesday as we touch them all? Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family of Podcasts. Great to be able to get Holden Kushner aboard. And something awesome that we do wind up doing here at Beeson is we've got a whole bunch of city casts. We've got them for a wide variety of cities. Obviously, Holden is doing the one for Denver. Daniel Alvari does the one for Los Angeles. Danny Burke, Chicago. Will Hill, New York. list goes on and on. Takes a look at sports betting from a local perspective. Holden, on top of that, does an amazing job taking a look at the game of baseball. And I know that he is psyched up for football to be able to get going, not just from a betting perspective, but also does a great job on the DFS side of things as, as well. So a big thanks to Holden Kusher for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Tuesday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed on my Twitter feed at unit underscore 81. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation, or this is where we wind up going with the National League games first. Then the American League games, any interleague games, those are going to be at the bottom. That'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. So, without further ado, let's dive in as we begin with 951-952. On the betting board, it is the St. Louis Cardinals. They are on the road. They're facing off against the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are in the Cincinnati, and they're looking to get her done with Justin Dunn on the bump, and Dakota Hudson is going to be going for St. Louis. St. Louis is finding themselves anywhere between minus 195 and minus 205 favorites, anywhere between plus 175 and plus 185. Your price on the Reds 10 is your total. The under is minus 115, and the over is minus 105. I did wind up saying my total a little bit north of 10. I am going to be taking a look at the over on what is going to be most likely the highest total on the board, and with the Cardinals... I was willing to lay up to a minus 175 with them. Now that we've gotten to a plus 175, I'm going to be willing to take a shot. Not necessarily a boat of confidence for Justin Dunn. Throughout his career, he has had over five walks per nine innings, but Dakota Hudson just really isn't that much better. You take a look at what he's done this season. So much of a ground ball pitcher. He gets four and a half walks per nine innings. He barely gets above five strikeouts per nine innings. He's been very lucky to keep the ball in the yard. Eight home runs given up at 121 in the third innings, despite being a very demonstrative pitch of contact guy with an ERA that goes up to a 505 on the road. Meanwhile, it's a 325 at home, but now he's going into a bandbox ballpark. I don't think that that's great. The one thing that Justin Dunn is able to do is he's able to keep guys guessing a little bit more. He does wind up getting taken deep when guys do wind up hitting the deep ball off of him as six bombs and 19 and a third innings this far this season. is far from terrific, but he has given up three runs over the course of his last two starts, so has looked a little bit better there, and the Reds are actually two and two in a start, so there's a little bit of something there. You do wind up seeing the rain delay that wound up happening in yesterday's game, but Got to feel like the bats are going to be firing on all cylinders in this one as Paul Goldschmidt along Nolan Arenado, both of these guys hitting above a 300 with Arenado going deep 27 times. Paul Goldschmidt, NL odds-on leader for MVP right now. Pretty much every sports book, he's been able to go deep north of 30 times. But Lars Nootbaar, since the All-Star break, he has been tremendous hitting nearly a 300. And how about what we've seen out of Albert Pujols the last five weeks? 
I mean, he's got seven home runs in his last 50 at-bats, hitting a 400 in that span. It has been absolutely ridiculous. Corey Dickerson has been able to get on base as well. And for the Reds, despite the fact that they wanted giving up a lot of pieces at the trade deadline, Jake Fraley, along with Jonathan India, TJ Friedel, these are guys hitting between about a 242 to a 252. You're able to throw in their Nick Senzel as well. Kyle Farmer has a 330 on base. Donovan Solano has been a little above a 300. Now, the bottom of the fold with guys like a Stewart Fairchild, Chucky Robinson, these guys have not necessarily been able to come through, but this is a Reds lineup that they've been able to do a solid job of being able to drive in runs all season long, averaging a little bit over five runs per game at home. Now, for the Cardinals, they do have Ryan Helsley back in the fold, a sub two ERA. Did wind up having a rough go of it on Sunday Night Baseball, but he's been solid all season long. And then, double that, you do wind up having someone like Giovanni Gallegos, but Genesis Carbera's on the injured list. And then, for the Reds, it is a grody bullpen. Alexis Diaz has been tremendous. He's got a sub-2 ERA. Really past that, you don't have anyone else that is providing a sub-350 ERA. It has been really, really bad. Ross Eblair has been okay, but Revierson Martin... Joe Kuno, Ian Gabo, you're able to go down the list. It is not so great. I do think that there's going to be a lot of scoring in this one. But with that said, I just don't think that the Cardinals should be this big of a favorite because I cannot back Dakota Hudson in this spot. Won't take plus 175 or greater with the Reds. And I'm going to be taking a look at the over 953, 954 on the betting board. The LA Dodgers, they threw it to face off against the New York Mets as Ty Walker is going to be going for the Mets. And Andrew Heaney is on the bump for the Dodgers. Dodgers between a minus 124 and a minus 130 favorite between plus 110 and plus 115. Your price on the Metropolitan's 8.5 Z total over and under both a minus 110. With the Dodgers was willing to lay up to a minus 126 with them. So we're pretty much at my max with a minus 124, minus 125. But I'm going to be willing to lay it with Andrew Heaney. Not a shock that we've seen regression from the sub one year. And I do think that Andrew Heaney a little bit better than how he wanted pitching with the Angels. As he has still given up two earned runs or fewer in all but one of his starts thus far this season. Starting to give up the deep ball a little bit more. He did want to giving up four home runs. His last two starts against the Milwaukee Brewers, and that's just sort of what Andrew Heaney's going to do. He gets a lot of strikeouts as he's registering well over 12.5 strikeouts per nine innings, but he is a little bit prone to giving up hard contact, but it's really been able to cut down on the walks, giving up right around 2.5, 2.6 walks per nine innings. That is something that is heartening. And then for Tyvon Walker, you notice that last season, first half of the season, did a really good job of being keeping the ball in the yard, and then in the second half of the season, he did wind up starting to give up a few bombs. We're starting to see a little bit more of that as he's now allowed six home runs over the course of his last six starts, but still, by and large, has been able to do a solid job. He has given up three earned runs or fewer in just one out of his last 11 starts, has been able to do a nice job of holding it down really at both home and on the road. 349 home area, 329 road area with opponents overall hitting a 240 off of him, despite the fact that his swing and miss stuff is down. He's only getting right around six and a half strikeouts per nine innings, and now he has a face-off against this just very fearsome L.A. Dodgers lineup as Max Muncy, Cody Bellinger, Trey Turner, Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, all between 16 and 19 home runs this season. Bookie Betts has went north of 30 now. With Bellinger, along with Max Muncy, Joey Gallo, you've got guys that are not doing the world's greatest job of being able to get on base. And on the flip side for the New York Mets, they do wind up getting back Eduardo Escobar. A little bit of touch and go for him. And for the Mets, you do have one or two bad swords about in the fold that they can be a little bit rough. But this has been a team that's been able to do a good job of moving the line all season long. Headlined by Pete Alonso, the fact that he's got over 100 RBI, 31 home runs as he, Francisco Lindor, Brandon Nimmo, you're able to throw in there Marcana, all in between about a 263 to a 278. Jeff McNeil has been able to hit well above a 300. Starling Marte is starting to show off a little bit of power as well. The big problem that the Mets have had, though, is just getting the ball to Edwin Diaz, who has been just absolutely dominant as a closer, but Yoli Rodriguez has had his issues. 
You've been able to see Seth Lugo really be able to shape up since the All-Star break. He's had a sub-250 ERA in that time span. And Tommy Hunter has not been too bad either, but Michael Givens, ever since he's gotten to the Mets, he's gotten north of a 6 ERA. For the LA Dodgers, it's been some of the unsung heroes in the bullpen that have been very good for them. You've got Caleb Ferguson, along to Evan Phillips, posting up sub-2 ERAs. Alex Vasilla has been able to give you right around a 255-ish. Meanwhile, Craig Kimbrell, Chris Martin, these guys have been albatrosses. So I do take a look at this spot, and I do think that with the Dodgers laying minus 125 or less, you do have some relatively good value there. And I do think that both of these pitchers are going to be able to go out, give a relatively solid performance. I might tell it at 8.3. So looking under on the 8.5 along with the Dodgers. 955-956 on the big board. Colorado Rockies to throw it face off against the Atlanta Braves. Max Freed is going to be going for the Bravos, and Jose Yarena is going to be on the bump for the Rockies. It's a big underdog spot here for Colorado. Anywhere between plus 175 and plus 285 is your price. Anywhere between minus 315 and minus 330 is the number on the Atlanta Braves. I'll just give you the run line right now. You're laying at DraftKings right now. Minus 180 on the run line of the Braves. I'm seeing as low as a minus 170, but it's chalky, and your total on this game is 8 overs between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. This is a situation where I am right now seeing the Colorado run line getting a run and a half in between about a plus 155 to a plus 160, and it's all going to become whether I or not I want to take the Rockies on the money line or the run line because I need at least a plus 155 to take a shot on them on the run line, and on the money line, I need at least a plus 288, so we're about, I would say, three, four cents away on either of them. Either way, I am certainly going to be taking a look at the Rockies in some former capacity. This might even become a play in which I want to take a look at the Rockies getting two and a half runs that may be like a little bit of a plus price because those are numbers that aren't going to be out until the AM. But I just do not want any part of laying this big of a number with the Atlanta Braves. And it's not because Max Fried is that good. Max Fried is terrific. He's got a 252 ERA, 12 and 4 record. He's been consistent home to road. 249 home ERA, 257 road ERA. He has given up six home runs at 86 and two-thirds innings at home compared to just two on the road. But this is a Colorado Rockies team that they do have their issues on the road. This is very, very well known. They wind up hitting about 40 points lower in terms of their batting average on the road as opposed to at home. And their home run power, it sinks by a minimum 35%. As got something like a C.J. Crone. He's hit 23 home runs. 17 of them have been at home. Brendan Rodgers, all but one of his home runs. They have been at home. So you're able to go down the line. Someone like Randall Gritchick hits below 200 on the road, over 280 at home. And it's very demonstrative numbers. But still, this is a spot in which Jose Urania, I don't think that he's going to go out there and it's going to be Greg Maddox or anything like that. But he's given up three runs or fewer in all but one of his road starts. He has not been completely terrible on the road. It's a 421 road ERA, which, once again, it's not anything like Sterling or anything like that. Three home runs give it up in 25 and two-thirds innings, but also not worthy of being nearly a $3 underdog as well. This is just a line that has went a little bit too far. You do have a Colorado Rockies bullpen in which they've got Alex Calmay now back to fold. He's been able to provide a sub-3-5 ERA. Daniel Bard has been solved for the team. Now, someone like Lucas Gobreth has demonstrative home and road splits, but he's going to be unavailable for this game. Denelson Lamet fortifies things as well for the Atlanta Braves. We've seen A.J. Minter have his struggles recently. They call up Jay Jackson. They're looking for innings out of him. Now, Dylan Lee, Tyler Madzik, these guys have been terrific. You've got someone in Kirby Yates that they're kicking the tires on, and he hasn't necessarily been so great now. With the Atlanta Braves, this has been one of the most fearsome offenses in all of baseball this year, but Austin Riley has been going through a little bit of a funk. He's got 31 home runs. He's hitting a 285, but 
Take a look at the last 30 days, getting more like a 240, and he's got just two home runs in the last 30 days as well. He has not necessarily been firing on all cylinders. Meanwhile, Dansby Swanson, Michael Harris is second. Both of these guys are in between about a 290 to a 300. Ronald Cunha Jr., 367 on base. So you still have a lot of guys doing an amazing job being able to get on base for the Braves, but I just think that this is a case in which the number has went a little bit too far. The Atlanta Braves, no question. They should be a relatively sizable favorite, but I mean, I wound up setting the Rockies at right around about a plus 288 on the money line. We should be able to get there, especially when Circa winds up posting up their opener. So looking at the Colorado Rockies in some form or capacity, and I do think that Urania is going to be able to turn relatively solid start in for the Rockies, and but one of the most anemic offenses on the road all season long. So Sevatel is some point eight looking under and looking at the Rockies, whether or not it's money line or run line, that is TBD. 957, 958 on the betting board. It is the Milwaukee Brewers. They are going to be playing us to the Pittsburgh Pirates as Mitch Keller is going to be going for the Buckos. And you've got Jason Alexander is going to be on the bump for the Milwaukee Brewers. This is a game that is presently off the board. We did not know who the Milwaukee Brewers were going to be throwing out there until really just before I wound up doing this podcast. But with that said, I've got numbers for this one as I did wind up saying the Milwaukee Brewers as a minus 156 favorite would need at least a plus 130 to be able to take a shot on the run line and set my total at an 8.9. So what this means is that an 8.5 or less, I'll be taking a look at the over 9 or higher to the under with the Brewers. They're just a little bit of an all or nothing offense. I was talking about this with Ben Wilson on the podcast a few days ago and that the Brewers are in the top five in the big leagues in terms of home runs as They've got three different guys with at least 23 home runs this season in Hunter Renfro, Rowdy Tellez, and William Thomas. These three guys have been firing all cylinders, but you're going to notice that nobody has more than 75 RBI on this team as well, despite having all those home runs because they're hitting a whole bunch of solo shots, and that comes back to the batting average. You do have Mike Brasso, Jace Peterson, Christian Yelchin between about a 255 to 260, and then past that, Renfro, Andrew McCutcheon, Cassid Hero, who Cassid Hero has been hitting above a 300 ever since he wound up getting recalled back to the big leagues between about a 242 250, but very inconsistent in terms of the offense. They don't necessarily have that one table setter guy. Maybe Christian Yelich is that guy, but that one guy that just gets on base, turns those solo shots into two-run shots. And then for the Pittsburgh Pirates, really past Brian Reynolds, so you don't have a lot of power in general. He's been able to go deep for 21 home runs. Michael Chavis and Jack Swazinski wound up just coming back to the lineup. They both have between 13 and 14 home runs, but Swazinski, you're able to throw in there someone like a Yoshi Satsugo, Josh Van Meter, Tyler Heineman. Topeka, Medicano, Oniel Cruz, all these guys, they're going to get 220 or lower, so that's relatively brutal. You do have Cabrian Ace along with Michael Chavis, who I mentioned before, and then you're able to throw in their Ben Gamble, hitting between about a 245 to 255, but this is also a Pirates bullpen that they rank in the bottom five in the big leagues in terms of ERA. Colin Holderman has had a rough last few weeks. He is now out of the fold for this bullpen. Eric Stout has not been stout. He's got well north of a four ERA. J.C. Young is solid in a little bit of a long roll, but you really don't have to pass that, but then you do take a look at who they're going to be throwing out there, Mitch Keller, and I've actually liked the way that he's been able to pitch recently. The big thing with him has always been the walks. He's got a career walks per nine rate that hovers in the neighborhood of four. It's a little bit below that this season, but you take a look at what he's been able to do recently, and he's got a 430 ERA across his last five starts. Walks have still been an issue, but he's given up just two home runs in those last five starts. Opponents have been hitting a 316, so he's been getting a little bit lucky, but I do think that going up against the Brewers, it is a good spot for him. And then what you're going to be seeing out of Jason Alexander, which I was also seeing Adrian Hauser as well. I could very well see a situation which... 
they wind up piggybacking off of one another because you've seen Jason Alexander be sort of used as a long guy the last few days, most notably on Wednesday where he wound up going three and a third innings of the bullpen against the LA Dodgers. I believe that that was in an Adrian Hauser start as well. And neither of these guys do a great job of being able to get swings and misses for Alexander. There is nothing special about him whatsoever. He gives up right around 3.8 walks per nine innings. He gets like five strikeouts per nine innings. He's given up right around 1.2 home runs per nine innings for Alexander home and road splits. He's got a north of five ERA in both circumstances. And then for Adrian Hauser, he has just been brutal ever since the beginning of the month of June. Goes on the injured list, comes back, and then he winds up giving up five runs while getting seven outs against the LA Dodgers. Both of these guys not so great. Now the good news is this is pretty much a rehab assignment for both of them because they're going up against a Pittsburgh Pirates offense, which is pretty much like a triple-A offense, which is why I do mind saying the Brewers as a favorite here. But I mean, if you took a look at the lines, then we wound up saying, with Corbin Burns yesterday, you're going to notice a big giant fall-off because the starting pitching, not so great for the Brewers. Now they still have Brad Boxberg out there in the bullpen. He's been solid. Had his issues over the weekend, but still a sub-3 ERA for him. Devin Williams, he's allowed three earned runs over the course of his last 40 appearances. Holby Milner not necessarily been great for him. Matt Bush has started to round in form, though, so do mind saying the Brewers minus 156 on the money line. If you're taking a look at the run line, would need at least a plus 128 to take a shot on that, and then eight half or less looking over nine or higher to the under as we go 959-960. On the betting board, it is the Philadelphia Phillies. They're going to be hitting the red face off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Zach Gallen is going to be going for the Diamondbacks, and Aaron Supernola is going to be on the bump for the Phils. The Phillies, they are finding themselves anywhere between minus 125 and minus 130 favorites between plus 110 and plus 117 is your price on Arizona, and the total on this game, it is 7.5. The under is anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. The over is anywhere between even and plus 105, and I do wind up setting the Phillies as a minus 114 favorite. I needed at least a plus 115 to take a shot on the Saints, and I'm going to be backing the pitching of Zach Gallen. Now, with Aaron Nola, he has been the opposite this year of what he's been throughout his career. Throughout his career, he has always been someone that has been very solid at home, and then on the road, he winds up having his issues. Well, this year for Aaron Nola, his road ERA is nearly half of what it is at home. At home, a 4.04 ERA compared to a 2.13 ERA on the road. And the reason why? Hard contact. Four home runs surrendered in 84 and a third innings on the road. 12 bombs in 82 and a third innings at home. Despite the fact that his opponent's batting average is lower at home rather than on the road, he's been significantly better on the road being able to reduce the deep ball. And this does wind up ringing true for the Arizona Diamondbacks, in which they wind up getting right around 1.3 home runs per game when they are on the road compared to at home, which is more around 0.85. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, you do have your main matcher in Christian Walker. 30 home runs has been terrific, but you do have guys at the bottom of the fold like Sergio Alcantara, Carson Kelly, you're able to throw in there Walker as well, Geraldo Perdomo, and you 225 for Lord. I will say this for Walker. He's been hitting above a 250 ever since the All-Star break. Joshua Ross has now been able to hit a 280 for the team. Quitel Marte, Emmanuel Rivera, along with Alec Thomas. They're in between about a 244 to a 254, and been able to get some good production recently. Uh, Jake McCarthy gets called up to the big leagues. He's hitting a 290 as well, but you do have to go up against this Philadelphia Phillies lineup. Reese Hoskins has his righty lefty splits, but still 26 bombs. He's been able to hit for a 250. And then you have JT Remuto, Gene Zagura, hitting between about a 270 to a 285. You've been able to have Alec Bohm do a great job of being able to move the line. And Brayson Stott, overall for the season, is hitting a 225. But in the last 30 days, that's been closer to a 275. Philly's a little bit shorthanded in terms of the bullpen as they're dealing with injuries to Corey Canable along with Sir Anthony Dominguez. But they also do have still David Robertson, who's been able to do a solid job. On top of that, you've been able to get some good innings out of Brian Hand as well. And then for the years of the Diamondbacks, is Joe Mantiply and then everyone else is relatively untrustworthy as Noir Ramirez, 
Kevin Ginkle, Luis Frias. You're able to go down the list of guys that have north of a 4-9 ERA. But when it comes to Zach Allen, this guy has been absolutely dealing. Two runs of fear given up in every one of his starts. Post-All-Star break, you've got a guy in Gallon that has actually been seeing a little bit of drop-off in terms of his swing and miss stuff. Nine strikeouts per nine innings. That's a little bit down for his career, but he's also seen a dip in terms of his walks as well. He's been giving up more around two and a half walks per nine innings. Actually has a little bit worse ERA at home with a 292 compared to a 239 on the road, but it's given up just five home runs in 71 innings when he's been at home. Opponents are a buck 88 off of him. I think that he is going to be able to turn a very good start, give the Diamondbacks a chance to win here, so I'm going to take the plus price of the Arizona Diamondbacks. I think we get a low-scoring game here. Semi-total at a 6.6. I think that you've got a battle of aces, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and I'm going to be taking a look at this thing with a plus price. Now we go to my DK and H pick as we go 961-962 on the betting board. It is the San Diego Padres at the road to face off against the San Francisco Giants as Logan Webb is going to be going for the Giants, and Blake Snell is on the bump for the Padres. Padres between a minus 118 to a minus 125 favorite. Meanwhile, with the Giants, you're finding them anywhere between even money and plus 110, and your total on this game is 7.5. The under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 105. I felt like the Giants should have been a minus 135 favorite. I recognize that it has been a no good, very bad, terrible slide for the San Francisco Giants recently that finds them below 500, but the one guy that I'm willing to trust in for the San Francisco Giants team is Logan Webb whenever he's at home because for the San Francisco Giants, they have literally lost three times in the last two seasons in regular season games when you've had Logan Webb pitching at home. He has been that dominant, and I do think that that is something Mary of a bank got actually four times in the last two seasons, but still, with Logan Webb, every single time he pitches at home, he gives this team a chance to win. 288 home ERA compared to a 384 ERA on the road. He has given up just two home runs over the course of 84 and a third innings thus far this season at home. Now, opponents are hitting right around about a 242 off of him, but for Logan Webb, also has been able to do a very solid job in terms of command, right around 2.5, 2.6 walks per nine innings. And Blake Snell, I recognize that he has been significantly better recently. The Padres won. It's already got one and eight in his first nine starts, but now they've lost three out of his last four once again, and it is a case in which he just has not been the same pitcher away from home as he has been at home his last two seasons with the Padres. Last year it was really bad, in which he wound up having a road area that was north of two points higher than it was at home. This year he's actually been a little bit better on the road with a 397 road area compared to a 442 ERA at home, but with Blake Snell, 3.9 walks per nine innings. So he's been able to get 12 punch outs per nine innings. So he's got it. He's been able to do a solid job there. He's given up just two home runs over the course of 34 innings on the road as well. But he has been giving up a little bit more contact to general opponents overall. They're ranking at 239 off of him. And this is a Padres bullpen that it is a little bit better than that of the Giants. But not much more because you've got a guy by the name of Josh Hader that I'm not even kidding here when I say this. His ERA currently with the San Diego Padres going into Monday, 23-14. When your ERA is higher than the current year, you know it's not going well for you. Adrian Marjone, Nick Martinez are capable of being long guys. They're not bad about Christmas sub-3 ERA. Luis Garcia has been able to give you some solid innings. Levant Roberts, Suarez, and then for the Giants, even though the bullpen overall in the bottom 10 in terms of the big leagues, in terms of ERA, you got three guys that you're able to bank on. That'd be Jarlin Garcia, Camilio Duvall, and John Brebbia, all sub-3 ERAs. Tyler Rogers has not necessarily been too terrific, but Webb, he's able to lend some good length. And then you've got balance when it comes to the San Francisco Giants. They've been in the top half of the big leagues in terms of runs generated per game, which I still think is a little bit magical because they don't necessarily have that one power bat. But Jack Peterson, Wilmer Flores, both of these guys, between 16 and 18 home runs. These two gentlemen throw in there, Therio Estrada, Luis Gonzalez, Evan Longoria. They're only between about a 248 
2858. Tommy LaSalle is in that fold as well. And then for the San Diego Padres, three of guys with between 23 and 24 home runs are turning into Monday. Juan Soto, Manny Machado, Brandon Jury, Josh Bell. Ever since he got to San Diego, has been hitting below 250, though. Awesome, Kim. He's been able to do a solid job back half of the season, north of a 275 batting average over the last two months. You've been able to have Jake Cronenworth be able to move the line along Jerickson Profar. Both of these guys, along with Austin Nola, hitting between about a 240 to a 255 Will Myers in that fold as well. But the Padres just have not been able to match since the trade deadline like you'd expect. And I do think that Blake Sell going to have some command issues, which means that I think that you wind up getting a little bit more length out of Logan Webb, and that gives the advantage to the Giants. DK and H pick on the Giants on the money line. I think both of these guys are going to be able to turn a relatively solid start as well. Semi-tall at some point, too. Very pitcher-friendly ballpark out there in San Francisco. So this is a case in which I'm going to be taking a look at the under and the DK Nation pick going to be on the Giants. 963-964 on the betting board. The Cleveland Guardians play also Baltimore Orioles. Spencer Watkins is on the bump for the Orioles. And Cal Quantrill is on the bump for Cleveland. Cleveland is between a minus 150 to a minus 155 favorite. Between plus 135 and plus 140 is your price on Baltimore. 8 is the total. The over is minus 120 and the under is even. And I did mind saying my total in an 8.1. Here at the 8, I am going to be taking a shot on the over end when it comes to Cleveland, was willing to lay up to a minus 142 with them. I would need about two more pennies on the Baltimore Orioles to be able to take a shot, but if you take a look at the run line right now, you're finding the Cleveland Guardians right around about a plus 140. You need to lay about a minus 155 to a minus 160 to take a shot on the Orioles, but in some former capacity, I would be taking a look at the Baltimore Orioles unless we do wind up finding a line move that pushes this line to minus 142 or less on the Cleveland Guardians. So a little bit of wait and see mode as to what I'm going to be settling on. I do expect this to be a play in some former capacity when it's all said and done on the Baltimore Orioles. So And for Spencer Watkins, you got to give a lot of credit where credit is too. This is a man that wound up having a north of 80 ERA with more than two home runs per nine innings surrendered last season. And thus far this season, he's giving up right around one home run per nine innings. He's been giving up 2.6 walks per nine innings. Swing him himself is not there with him. He gets right around 5.6 strikeouts per nine innings, but he's been actually better on the road than he has been at home. 417 home ERA, 372 ERA on the road. The opponent's saying a 240 off of him on the road and 280 at home. Meanwhile, Cal Quantrill, very much a pitch of contact guy, coming off of a tremendous start last time out against the San Diego Padres. He was able to hold them scoreless overall for the season, giving up right around 1.2 home runs per nine innings, but has been able to do his best work at home. 338 home ERA, 386 ERA on the road. He has been giving up right around 1.2 home runs per nine innings at home, but opponents ain't just a 229 off of him. He's been able to do a better job in terms of his command as well, right around two and a half walks per nine innings. And you take a look at his last five starts, five walks rendered over the course of 32 innings. Best mark of the year for him, and he's going up against the Baltimore Orioles team that you've got good balance when it comes to the Orioles. You don't necessarily have the one guy that's going to absolutely light it up, although Anthony Santander is trying to make a case for that. He's currently got 23 home runs this season. Then on top of that, you do have Ryan McCastle, Austin the Sayers, Kid, and Ramon Odias, all between 14 and 18 home runs. But all three of these gentlemen that I wind up mentioning, they're in between about a 244 to 256, and then you take a look past that. And you've got Ryan McKenna, Adelie Rushman, who I mentioned a little bit earlier in Santander, hitting between about a 252 to 258, etc. Mullins. How about him being able to find his silver slugger form? He's been able to give the team a 265 in Ore Mateo. It's at the bottom of the fold end for Mateo. He's been able to about a 300 post all-star break. These two guys are in the top five in the big leagues in terms of stolen bases. With Mullins, he's been able to hit a 300 over the last 30 days. He has been absolutely magnificent at being able to move the line. And then for the Cleveland Guardians, this is a team that they have the fewest strikeouts on a prep at basis of any team out there in the big leagues. Now, you do want to take caution with the Cleveland Guardians. They do not wind up being the deep ball 
at home. This is a team that they actually have approximately 100 home runs this season, and just 36 of them have wound up coming at home. But Josh Taylor has been able to about a 265 for the team. And then on top of that, you've got Amanda Rosario, Jose Ramirez, Stephen Kwan, Andres Jimenez, Oscar Gonzalez. All being able to hit between about a 282 north of a 300 for this team, including having Jimenez, Quan, and Gonzalez, or at least a 305 at home. Really, the only guy that has supreme power for this team is Jose Ramirez. He's been able to go deep 26 times thus far this season. Andres Jimenez and Josh Naylor, right between 15 and 16 home runs. Both the Guardians also do have a relatively solid bullpen. Emmanuel Classe has been a top two closer along with Edwin Diaz this season. James Karinczak in the eighth inning has been superb. Nick Sandlin, Trevor Steven, they both have a sub three ERA. But for the Baltimore Orioles, this is a top six team in terms of their bullpen ERA as well. As you've had Joey Crebiel along with Keegan Aiken, Felix Batista. Throwing there, Dylan Tate, CNL Perez, all posting up a 3-2 ERA or better as well. So I do think that both of these starters are going to do an okay job. I think we've went a little bit too low on the subtle, but I do think that if you're able to get a plus 142-ish or greater, which right now we're fighting right around about a plus 140 on Baltimore, we've got a little bit of value here. So waiting for a little bit of a line move, but I anticipate this being a play on Baltimore. And then semi-total at an 8.1, so looking over on 8 as well. 965-966 on the betting board. The Seattle Mariners, they throw in face-off against the Detroit Tigers as George Kirby goes for the Mariners, and Matt Manning is on the bump for Detroit. Detroit is an underdog. Any between plus 150 and plus 157. And between minus 165 and minus 175, your price on Seattle 7.5 is the total. The over is minus 115, and the under is minus 105. And for Seattle on the run line, Fighting them, laying a run and half at minus 115. And it's a circumstance in which if you're able to get a minus 110, as I'm seeing a couple minus 110s on the run line for Seattle circulate as well, that'd be something that I'd be willing to take a look at. Because with the Tigers, I need at least a plus 178 to take a shot on them. I do think that this is going to be a rather nip and tuck game because Matt Manning has been able to do a really good job at home here. For the Detroit Tigers, as as a matter of fact, has a sub-1 ERA at home thus far this season for the Detroit Tigers. Now, it's a very small sample size that Matt Manning has. He's made just four starts, but in his four starts, 26 innings. He has given up two earned runs, both off of solo home runs, four walks in that time span. One is earning a buck 44 off of him compared to a 400 on the road. Now, fair to say that it is going to iron out just a little bit there, but I really like what I'm seeing. Uh, George Kirby as well. His walks per nine rate is like off the charts, and it is the greatest we've ever seen for anyone in their rookie season ever. This is a man that has 13 walks in 97 and a third innings. That's a walks per nine rate of 1.2. And he's got a 319 road here. He's been really good on the road, giving up four home runs in 42 and a third innings. But it's already about a 255 off of him, but even with this command, he still winds up getting right around 9.4, 9.5 strikeouts per nine innings. So he has been able to do a terrific job on that front, and for the Seattle Mariners, they could wind up using a little bit more pop with their bats, as it's really been Angel Eugenio as well as coupled with Julio Rodriguez, who have been able to supply the deep ball, combined 45 home runs out of these two gentlemen, and both of these guys give you between about a 325 to a 335 on base, but that's why you've got Mitch Anninger back in the fold. He wound up having north of 35 home runs, was sitting about a 255 last season. Now, you do need to shape up a little bit with the bats towards the bottom of the fold. Guys like Cal Raleigh, Dylan Moore, Abraham Toro, Carlos Santana, these guys earning a 215 or lower, but been able to get some good production out of J.P. Crawford. He has a 335 on base. Ty France, he's starting to shape up a little bit as well, so you do like to see that. And then on the flip side, for the Detroit Tigers, you just got the cavalcade of guys. They're in a 215 or lower. Akil Badu, Tucker Barnard, Cody Clements. Avi Baez has fortunately been able to claw his way out of that. And we can't bring up Spencer Torkelson because he is no longer at the major league level. He got sent down to the minor leagues, but Jameer Candelario, Jonathan Scope, they're all in this fold as well. And 
You've right now got a team in which they've got fewer home runs as a entirety of a team as you've got between the duo of Aaron Judge and Anthony Rizzo as I believe that they're currently stuck on 73 home runs this season. That is not great. And they have to go up against a Seattle Mariners bullpen that is currently number one in the big league since the beginning of the month of June in terms of ERA. Andres Munoz has been able to do a great job of being able to come along along Diego Castillo after really rough starts of the season. These two guys have been absolutely tremendous for them. Matt Brash is someone that they've been able to form into being a nice bullpen piece. And for the Detroit Tigers, we've seen a little bit of regression in terms of their bullpen ever since they did wind up trading away Michael Former at the trade deadline. But Andrew Chafin, Joey Menez, as ever since he's come off the injured list, Jose Cicerno, these guys have all been able to provide a sub-3-3 ERA. Been a little bit touch and go with Gregory Soto recently, but he still has electrifying stuff as a closer as well. So this is a circumstance where I do think we're going to get a lower scoring game. So my total is 7.4. Looking under, I think we're going to get a little bit of regression here with Matt Manning in terms of the way that he has been performing at home. So one delay up to a minus 110 on the run line with the Seattle Mariners at a chunky more like minus 160, minus 165. We'll be willing to take the Mariners on that as well. So I do think it's going to be a lower scoring game. 967, 968 on the betting board. The Boston Red Sox may throw the facing off against the Minnesota Twins. Chris Archer is going to be going for the Twins, and Cutter Crawford is on the bump for Boston. Nine is the total. The under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. And between minus 125 and minus 130 is your price on Minnesota. And then, you know, the Red Sox, anywhere between plus 110 and plus 120. When it comes to the Sox, I did need at least a plus 123 to take a shot here. I was willing to lay up to about a minus 123 with Minnesota. And if you're taking a look at the run line, find that anywhere between about a plus 160 to a plus 165. If anything, at current numbers, I'd be taking a look at a run line of Minnesota. I would have needed at least a plus 155 to be able to lay a run and half because I do think that this is going to be a case in which we're going to see a higher scoring game. I did want to say my total at 9.7, and when you do wind up having higher totals like this, higher projected totals, I should say, it does mean that you do think that there's probably going to be a better chance that you wind up having a little bit more of a blowout, and I do think that the Minnesota Twins could be able to get to not just Cutter Crawford, but also a Boston Red Sox bullpen that ever since the All-Star break is by far the worst in terms of bullpen ERA. I mean, they have been absolutely terrible. And for Cutter Crawford, he's given up four plus runs and now three out of his last four starts. For Cutter Crawford this season, he's actually been able to do a okay job at home with a 450 ERA for Fenway. Standards, that's not necessarily too bad, but on the red, he's given up five ding-dongs over the course of 33 innings, a 620-70 ERA opponents are north of a 300 off of them. And for the Minnesota Twins, you do want to take note that they are going to be without Byron Buxton in this game. He's currently on the 10-day injured list, but Luis Rice has been a good table setter for this team. He's hitting north of a 315. Has been in a little bit of a funk recently, but you still have Jose Miranda, Gio Urshela, Nick Gordon, Carlos Correa, all these guys in between about a 265 to a 275. You've been able to have Ore Palanco go deep 16 times. He's got Red Ron at 345 on base. And for Boston, they do supply the boom themselves. Sander Bogarts, Rafi Devers, both hitting above a 290. But the problem with the Red Sox is that while you've got a lot of guys that they get on base, Devers is the only guy with really north of 12 home runs in this lineup. He's been able to 25. You do have Tommy Famu. Overall, this season has 15. Many of those on to coming with the Reds. And he has been able to do a solid job ever since he wanted coming over to Boston. Alex Verdugo throw it in there as well. Christian Arroyo, both of these guys in a little bit north of a 280. And you do have Trevor Story, who's going to be returning to the fold. He wound up returning on Monday. He has been able to provide 15 home runs while you're going to be able to get these first few nights out of him. That's a little bit of a 
question mark. And you do know what you're going to be able to get out of this Boston Red Sox bullpen. Not great production. Alluded to it a little bit earlier as right now you've got Jerson Familia, Matt Barnes, Ryan Brazier all posting up north of a 5 ERA. Caleb Ward has been so bad that he's got a 9 ERA. Zach Kelly is someone that you don't trust. And really other than Garrett Whitlock and John Schreiber, you don't have trustworthy bullpen pieces. And for the Minnesota Twins, Emilio Pagan is up and good for the team, but they pick up Oriel Lopez, a sub-2 ERA this season. Michael Fulmer has been solid. Yohan Duran, he's been able to provide right around a 2 ERA. He's able to give you multiple innings. He throws 100 plus miles per hour. These guys are all relatively solid. So taking a look at this one, I'd be taking a look at the Twins as of right now on the run line. I do think that you would want to be banking on a little bit higher scoring game because you do have Chris Archer out there and Kings can go sideways with Chris Archer as he has yet to complete more than five innings this season. He has went five innings or fewer in all 22 of his starts. He still has his walks problem as he's given up 4.3 walks per nine innings and on 7.7 punch outs per nine innings. You take a look at who's done in the state of Minnesota, 383 ERA compared to a 487 road ERA. And he keeps the ball in the yard in Minnesota, which is why I do sort of like the run line here a little bit more than the money line, but I do think that it's going to be a highest scoring game. So if I'm looking at anything right now in terms of money line slash run line, it'd be the run line of the Twins. I've set them minus 123 on the money line, but more on plus 150 on the run line. And here at the nine, taking a look at the over seven, I told it 9.7, 9.69, 9.70 on the bang board. The Texas Rangers playoffs, the Houston Astros from Valdez is going to be going for the Strohs and Dane Dunning looking to get her Dunning for Texas and the Rangers are finding themselves as a pretty sizable underdog as you're going to be getting Texas anywhere between about a plus 155 to a plus 160 meanwhile on Houston it's anywhere between minus 166 and minus 180 let's take a look at the run line and we're finding Houston anywhere between about a plus 110 to a plus 112 in terms of the run line and if you're taking a look at the total, it is anywhere between 7 and 7.5 on the 7. Over is minus 120, and the under is even on the 7.5. Over and under both at minus 110. And for the Houston Astros, I set the minus 170 on the money line, but I was willing to lay a price on the run line, being able to get plus 110. That is calling my name right now, as I do think that Robert Valdez is going to be able to lend a good start for the Astros, as he all season long has been significantly better when he's been on the road rather than at home. I'm not sure how, and I'm not sure why. And for Robert Valdez, it's been a case in which he wants up having a tough time being able to get swings and misses towards the beginning part of the season, but he's been able to pick up steam in terms of his strikeout numbers overall, right around 8.1 strikeouts per nine innings, but you take a look at what he's been able to do over the last, I would say, month or so. His strikeouts per nine rate, that's been more around 8.6, 8.7, and on the road, 223 ERA compared to a 327 ERA at home, giving up just four home runs in 92 and two-thirds innings when he has been on the road. He has a lot of familiarity with Texas, and in his three starts against Texas, he has allowed one earned run thus far. Texas has not been able to hit him now. With the Rangers, you do have plenty of firepower in the lineup for this team, as Corey Seager has been the main masher. He's been able to go deep 28 times this far this season, but pass that Marcus Simeon, Adelise Garcia, Nate Lowe, all between 20 and 22 home runs this season as really all of these guys aside from Marcus Simeon are hitting above a 255 with Nate Lowe hitting a 300 Jonah Heim he's went deep 13 times he's hitting about a 240 for this bunch as well the catcher spot in general has been solid for this team Ezekiel Duran is able to move the line Leody Tavares is hitting a 300 so Rangers offense is certainly there but they just have had a tough time against Framber Valdez who has been giving up his walks a little bit over three walks per nine innings out of him but the bigger thing for me is that you have a Texas Rangers team that has been deplorable in terms of their bullpen Josh Saboras along Dennis Santana. Both of these guys have been terrible in the bullpen, posting up north of a 5-5 ERA. 
Brock Burke has been able to do a solid job all season long along with Matt Moore, but Brock Burke wound up getting shelled in that series against the Detroit Tigers, allowing six total runs over the course of his last two appearances, so he is starting to regress a little bit. Matt Moore has been able to do a solid job, and Jonathan Hernandez as well, but you got a Houston Astros team that they and the New York Yankees wanted to in terms of bullpen ERA all season long when it comes to the Astros. You've been able to get some very good outings out of Ryan Stanek along Seth Martinez, Brian Abreu. You're able to throw in there as well. Ryan Presley and Rafael Montero, all these guys posting up a sub 3-3 ERA. And then for the Houston Astros, it has been a little bit of a rough ordeal here for Yardon Alvarez. He's been hitting right around 250 over the last 30 days. Power numbers have went down a little bit, but he's still providing right around about a 400 on base. And behind him, you've got a trio of guys that will be able to hit between 20 and 22 home runs. Kyle Tucker, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman. Bregman has been able to give you a 370 on base along with Altuve. Kyle Tucker and right around a 260. You've been able to have Martin Maldonado actually be able to give you a double digit on bombs. And now Christian Vasquez being able to spell him as a good inning catcher. That winds up being able to help out this bunch as well. Yoli Gurriel has been able to come along for the ride a little bit. Elamendis Diaz being banged up. That has hurt this team a little bit. But so this is a relatively solid Houston Astros lineup. And I do think that they're going to be able to do a good job of getting to a guy in Dane Dunning who has always been better at home rather than on the road. He's stunning Dunning at home. On the road, he's just Dunning. And that's not necessarily too terrific as he's got a home ERA, a 321, a 525 ERA on the road, giving up seven home runs in 67 and third innings at home and 61 and two-thirds innings on the road. So relatively equal there, but opponent's batting average falls by like 90 points when he's at home. He's just so much more comfortable when he pitches in Texas, but I do think that the Astros, they get to him here, and that Rangers bullpen, I cannot trust them with an under at this point. So I'm tell an 8.2. Looking over, I think that the Astros, they get into that bullpen, and they hit it hard, so looking at the Astros on the road line. 971-972 on the betting board, it is the Chicago White Sox. They play us against the Royals. Brady Singer is going to be going for the Royals, and Lucas Giolito is on the bump for the White Sox. The White Sox are a favorite of any routine, minus 129 to minus 140, plus 119 at plus 125, your price against City. It is your total overs between minus 105 and minus 110. The unders any routine minus 110 and minus 115. And I said the Kansas City Royals at a plus 108. So we're north of plus 110 everywhere. I'm going to be willing to take a shot because I just don't trust in Lucas Giolito. For Lucas Giolito, he's actually been remarkably worse at home rather than on the road. 671 home ERA compared to a 391 ERA on the road, and he's been giving up bombs in both locations. 10 home runs given up in 69 innings on the road, 9 bombs in 53 and 2 thirds innings at home. But opponents are going to get 318 off of him at home. He has been able to get right around 10 strikeouts per 9 innings, but the deep ball is killing him. The command has not been great as he's been giving up right around 3.4 walks per 9 innings. And then for Brady Singer, this guy is on a really remarkable run as he's made 5 starts here in the month of August, and Thus far, he has posted up in the area of a 223. He has given up three home runs in the time span as well, but he has now allowed two earned runs or fewer in seven out of his last eight starts. He has been completely dominant in this span, and it's been both home and on the road. He went to Yankee Stadium and turned a great start there. He's got just one and two in terms of his road record with a 340 ERA compared to a 6-2 record at home, but 340 road ERA, 301 home ERA, giving up four home runs in 42 and a third innings when he is on the road. And for the Kansas City Royals, big trepidation that you've got with them is that they don't pack him up with a great bullpen. As a matter of fact, it is dead last in the American League as it's been a rough year all season long for Amir Garrett, Jose Cuas, both of these guys have a 399 ERA or worse. Now, Dylan Coleman, Scott Barlow, 
Both of these guys have been solid, but they're kicking the tires on Anthony Mitrovic. He's been sad all season long. Luke Weaver has not been great. Colin Snyder literally has a 6-6-6 ERA. For the love of Pete, either give up a run or wind up pitching a scoreless inning because we just need to get you off of 6-6-6 for just sanity's sake. But when it comes to the Chicago White Sox, not like this bullpen. It's been a lot, a lot better. You're able to rely upon Liam Hendricks along with Kendall Graveman, but Graveman, he wanted giving it up against the Arizona Diamondbacks a little bit over the weekend. Rinaldo Lopez, Jimmy Lambert, these are failed starters that have been able to supply out there in the bullpen a sub-3-1 ERA. Joe Kelly, though, he continues to be a hot mess, and when it comes to the White Sox, they do a great job of being able to move the line. They're in the top 10 in terms of batting average. You've been dealing with an injury to Tim Anderson for quite a while, but he, Jose Abreu, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, when he's been out there as he's been injured all season long, Andrew Vaughn, only at least a 290 for the team. You don't have anyone that is north of 14 home runs, says Robert, Vaughn, Abreu, between 12 and 14 home runs, and that's been about it, and that has been the main bugaboo for this White Sox team. And the White Sox, they always have their demonstrative righty-lefty splits as well, which is always something that you do want to take a look at, and really can't say where else. This has not been the world's greatest offense by any stretch of the imagination, but they're starting to really come along for the ride as they've been able to put up at least five runs in now four out of their last seven games. And when it comes to the Kansas City Royals, you do have Salvador Perez being able to hit 18 home runs, his home runs on a prep basis. That has been relatively solid as well. He's getting one every above. 16, 17 at best. Bobby Wood Jr., he's went deep 18 times as well. He's hitting right around at 255. You've got Hunter Dozier. He's been able to move the line as well. Nicky Lopez, along with Dozier. These guys are in between about a 240 to a 250. They've been without Vinny Pasquantino for the last few days, but he's been able to pick it up as well. you got to figure that he might wind up being back in the fold at some point this week as well. And then for Michael A. Taylor, he's been able to come back, and he's been able to supply as he wound up having a home run over the weekend as well. So I do take a look at this Royals team. Willing to trust in Brady Singer to not want a part of Lucas Giolito. Anything north of plus 110 will take a shot on the Royals. Do mind if saying my till at 8.7 as well as I think that Giolito going to be giving up some runs. So looking at the over as well. 973, 974 on the bank board. The LA Angels, they play us in the New York Yankees. Jameis Satayon is going to be going for the Yanks. And Mike Myers, no, not the comedian, is going to be going for the Angels. And the Angels are underdogs between plus 150 and plus 160. Minus 170 and minus 175. Your price on New York. 8.5 is your total. The under is minus 115 and the over is minus 105. Semi-tell it at 8.1. Ball just does not wind up flying during the nighttime in a lot of these West Coast ballparks as opposed to during the daytime. And when it comes to the LA Angels, they have been able to get Mike Trout back. And he entered into Monday with a home run in four out of his last five games. Very impressive from him as he and Joey Otani, both with 28 home runs at a between 265 and 270 batting average this season. And credit where credit is due to Luis Renifo and David Fletcher. Both of these guys have been able to pick it up. Renifo, he's hitting right around at 270. And David Fletcher, ever since he's been recalled to the big leagues, he's been hitting well above a 300. But Taylor Ward, along with when he's been out there, Jared Walsh, as he's been a little bit banged up. They've seen massive regression here towards back half of the season. Ward still giving you 17 home runs, hitting at 260. But you do take a look at Taylor Ward, and over the last two months, this has been a gentleman that has been hitting right in the neighborhood about a 205. And then Andrew Velasquez, you're able to throw in there Mike Ford, Kurt Suzuki, Matt Theus. You're able to go down the line of guys hitting at 200 or lower. And for the Yankees, they have been able to get out of their own way themselves. Four runs or fewer in 14 out of their last 17 games entering into Monday night. You've had DJ Turner to help you. Still be able to give you a 275 average, but you can tell that he's a little bit banged up. Aaron Judge has been able to supply 49 home runs. He has not been the issue here for the New York Yankees. Anthony Rizzo, John Carlos Sand, a combined 52 home runs between the two of them, but these two along Josh Johnson, only between about a 220 to 230. They need to pick that up a little bit. Jose Trevino, Isaiah Canerfalefa, and the young gun, and Waldo Cabrera. They're in between about a 262 to 270, so they've been able to do a nice job as well. 
for the Yankees. Bullpen pitching has still been solid for this team. They're still in the top two. In terms of bullpen ERA, that has not been the issue for them as Ron Mananakio has been able to give you a sub-two ERA. You've got Rawls Chapman who's on the injured list because he got a tattoo, which that's very interesting in and of itself. But Wadi Peralta, he's been able to do a nice job. He and Lucas Lukey, sub-two six ERAs. Having Chad Green on the fold has clearly hurt this team a little bit, and they're dealing with a Scott Efforts injury as well. But Lutrofino, ever since he's come over, he's got a sub-one ERA for this bunch as well. So you still have a Yankees bullpen that's been able to fire on all cylinders. James Santayan, he has been having his issues giving up just hard contact in general. As for Tyon, you know that the command is going to be there. He's giving up fewer than two walks per nine innings, but he's also given up 21 home runs in his 139 innings thus far this season on the road. It winds up being a little bit worse as well with 12 bombs over the course of 66 and a third innings compared to nine home runs in 71 and a third innings when he is at home. Command is home of the road does not wind up going through a struggle, but he's also going up against someone in Mike Myers that he wound up making his first start, I believe, in a few seasons against the Tampa Bay Rays. He wound up going five scoreless against him. Credit where credit is due, but in his previous long relief appearances, he had went nine and a third innings, giving up seven runs and overall for the season. They also have a 446 ERA 30-year-old that is looking to pretty much remake himself, and it's remarkable as home and road splits out. A lot of this is due to a small sample size, as he's only thrown right around 34 innings this season, but he's got an 880 ERA at home compared to a 095 ERA on the road. I do think that this is going to wind up iring out just a little bit, but still, this is not the team that you want to be going up against to wind up ironing that out. I do think that the Yankees, they get online in this one. I set the Yankees as a minus $2 favorite, and when it comes to the run line, finding that at even money, I was willing to lay about a minus 125, so I'm going to be willing to take the Yankees on the run line. I do think that the Angels, who have been averaging right around 3.2 runs per game ever since the beginning of the month of June, they're going to continue to struggle, even with Mike Trout back in the fold, so looking under and looking at the Yankees on the run line. 975-976 on the betting board. The Tampa Bay Rays, they're playing against the Miami Marlins as the homestanding Marlins send Asus Lazardo to the mound and Shane McClanahan is on the bump for the Rays. This is a game that's off the board. I think that there was a little question mark as to whether or not we were going to be getting Asus Lazardo in this one, but with it being Lazardo against McClanahan. I did want to say the race as a minus 168 favorite and I said I tell and this is probably going to be laughable for some of you at a 6. A 6. It's going to depend upon the juice if you wind up getting a 6. And if you wind up finding a 5.5, go ahead and take it over. But I don't think we're going to be finding any 5.5s here. I set my total at a 6. This has been a Miami Marlins team that has not been able to get out of their own way on offense all season long. Entering into what we wound up seeing on Monday, they had scored 4 runs or fewer in 25 out of their last 27 games. And they do not have a single healthy bat right now that has provided more than 7 home runs this season. I mean, this is just completed under sadness. They have played 128 games, and they don't have a single guy that has hit more than seven home runs this season. They get Gary Cooper back in the fold. He, John Birdie, Joey Wendell, in between about a 255 to a 265. But, I mean, J.J. Belady, Jacob Sullings, Luan Diaz, Gerard Encarnacion. You're able to go down the list of guys. You know, 220 or lower. It's just deplorable. And for the Miami Marlins, the bullpen is not necessarily been too bad. Pablo Lopez was able to end a good start, so they're not going to be overly tired there. Been able to get some good innings out of Richard Blyer along with... Dylan Floro, both of these guys have been able to deliver. Oscar Brazoban, I think, has a little bit of upside. He's a young reliever, has been able to provide a sub four ERA. Stephen Oakert has been able to do a solid job. And then on the flip side for the Tampa Bay Rays, they obviously are a team that they know how to be able to maneuver that bullpen as you've got a sub buck 50 ERA out of Jason Adam. It's been a good year for books, both Brooks Rayley along with Colin Pooch. They wind up getting Pete Fairbanks and JT Chargois off the injured list. Both of these guys have been relatively solid. And Shane McClain, and he has fallen a little bit in terms of the Cy Young race. But I mean, this is still a guy that's given up 
I believe three earned runs or fewer in all but two of his starts thus far this season. Shane McClanahan has continued to be dominant. He has given up a combined four earned runs over the course of his last three starts. So against the Orioles, the Royals, and the Angels at home. So obviously a little bit of a charmed schedule there. But with Shane McClanahan, he's given up right in the neighborhood about two walks per nine innings. His strikeouts per nine rate. Hovering in the pocket about 11. And he's been better on the road. 213 road area, 223 home area. This is a very pitcher-friendly ballpark. And opponents are buck fifty-six off of him when he is on the road. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, not necessarily a big giant group of matches as Isaac Paredes right now leading the way in terms of 18 home runs. You do have Randy Rosarena, who's went deep 17 times, and nobody else has a double-digit amount of formers, so that's a little bit of an issue. Paredes, he and so many others have just not been able to get on base as he's sitting at 225, and then you take a look at guys like Rene Pinto, whenever they've relied upon Taylor Walls, guys like this, they have been unable to move the line. Jose Siri, he's hitting below 200 for the season. Yu Chang has been touching go. You do wind up getting back in the full man while though. He's hitting a 300. Harold Ramirez, he's done a great job moving the line, hitting a 325. He's been able to give a little bit of power recently as well. Wander Franco being on the field has hurt this team, no question. But you do have G-Man Choi, who he's back, and it looks like he is back to being relatively healthy. So, do you mind saying the race? Minus 168 on the money line. I would need at least a plus 120 to be able to take a look at the run line, which is ridiculously high for a road team with this money line. But set my total at 6. Once again, unless we see something very unforeseen, probably going to be taking a look at an under and willing to lay up to a minus 168 with the race. 977, 978 on the main board. The Oakland A's, they have to face off against the Washington Nationals. Eric Fetty Wap is going to be going for the Nats and Cole Irvin on the bump for Oakland. Oakland is finding themselves in a relative pick game. They're a slight underdog. Anywhere between even money and minus 105 to a plus 105. Meanwhile, with Washington, it's anywhere between minus 110 and minus 128 is the total. The over is minus 115 and the under is minus 105. And I made the AC minus 132 favorite. I do recognize that Cole Irvin has been able to do his best work on his home field this season when he's been in Oakland. He's been able to supply a buck 94 ERA compared to a 488 ERA on the road, giving up out of his 17 home runs, 13 of them on the road with 59 innings on the road compared to 83 and a third at home. But the good news is he's going up against the Washington Nationals team that they and the Pittsburgh Pirates are the worst two teams in terms of runs per game at home this season. And when it comes to the Oakland A's, they got a fighting shot in this one because Eric Fetty Wap has not been able to make a lot of starts recently due to being a little bit banged up. First start off of the injured list, he winds up giving up two runs over the course of five innings on the road against the Seattle Mariners, wound up giving up a home run in that start, and that has really been something that has hurt Fetty all season long, 1.3 home runs per nine innings. He's also given up right around 4.4 walks per nine innings with Cole Irvin, even though he will give up the deep ball, you know that he's not going to put guys on cheaply sub two walks per nine innings thus far this season, and for Fetty, 447 home area compared to a little bit north of a five year on the road, and with the Washington Nationals bottom 10 team in terms of bullpen area, Cole Edwards Jr. has been relatively solid. Steve Ciszek, though, is back to having north of a four ERA. Hunter Harvey, actually, has had a sub three ERA credit where credit is due there. He and Rasmo Ramirez have been nice finds, but with that said, when it comes to the Oakland they've been able to do a good job with their bullpen recently as well. Zach Jackson, Domingo Acevedo, AJ Puck, Sam Mall able to throw in their Danny Jimenez as well. All these guys have been able to supply a sub 3-3 ERA this season for the Oakland A's. No question, it's been a grody offense for them, but John Murphy along with Seth Brown. He combined 33 home runs this season with Murphy. It's really the only guy that has been able to move the line. He's been able to hit a 250 for this team, and what I will say about the Oakland A's is that their road batting average is better than their home batting average because they play in the most pitcher-friendly ballpark out there in baseball, especially during the nighttime, so they hit right around like a 205 to a 210 at home, more like a 226 on the road. Not that it's necessarily that great, but it's a little bit of improvement, but really, other than Sean Murphy, you don't have a lot of guys that wind up hitting too well on the road. as Tony Kemp, Sky Bowl, Chad Pinder, Sheldon Noisy, 
All these guys are in between about a 224 to a 234 when they are on the road. Jonah Pride has not been able to provide anything whatsoever. So I do think that this is going to be an interesting ordeal here because you got a pair of offenses that are not so great. I take a look at the A's and then here I'll take a look at the Washington Nationals. And Luke Voigt has been able to supply a double-digit amount of formers, but got a lot of guys that they in that neighborhood of about a 235 to a 245. Nelson Cruz, Keybet Ruiz is a little bit above that at a 247, but Cesar Hernandez, Lane Thomas, they're all in that fold. Luke Voigt is just below that. And then Mike Confranco has seen a little bit of a tip in that as well. You've had Lane Thomas be able to give you a double-digit amount of formers, but I mean, it's been a national team that they have not been able to get the deep ball all season long. So I do mind him saying Matilda at an 8.4. So here at the 8, I'm going to be one to take a look at the over just because I really don't have a lot of faith in Fetty and Corvin has been giving up quite a few runs on the road, but I feel like the A's should be the favorite, especially with them having good bullpen pieces out there as well. So looking A's and looking at the 8 over, and we wrap things up with 979-980 on the betting board. The Chicago Cubs and throw it face off against the Toronto Blue Jays. Kevin Gosman is going to be going for the Jays, and Marcus Stroman is on the bump for the Cubs. It is the total. The over and the under are anywhere between even and minus 120, so quite a range there with the Blue Jays. Anywhere between minus 210 and minus 225 is the money line price. Anywhere between plus 185 and plus 190 is the number on the Cubs, and if you're looking at the run line of the Blue Jays, that is even money, and that is where I'm going to be looking, because I set the Jays minus 214 on my money line. On the run line, I was willing to go up to a minus 112, so being able to get even money, I do think he's good value now. With Kevin Gosman, it's been very strange to take a look at him, because his fielding independent is a full point lower than his 315 ERA. He has been very unlucky on balls in play, and it's all been happening at home. He's got 201 road ERA compared to a 463 ERA at home, because at home, opponents are a 324 off of him, despite the fact that he gets 10.5 strikeouts per 9 innings. He's been giving up about 1.6 walks per 9 innings. His home runs per 9 rate, despite this very high batting average, it is right around .8. Kevin Gosman has been pitching very well, but every single ball that comes off the bat of someone else has found the wrong hole. you got to feel like there's going to be a little bit of positive progression here for Kevin Gosman, and has been pointing this way all season long, and you feel like a little bit of a fool if you've been making on it, but at some point, it should be coming through. Meanwhile, for Marcus Stroman, it's been not so great for him recently as he has given up at least three runs in every one of his starts here in the month of August. And in the month of August, he's got an ERA that has not necessarily been as bad as you would think as it's right now at 434 because he's been the victim of a lot of unearned runs this month. As a matter of fact, four of them. So that is why that line's batting up to what it does. And for Marcus Stroman, that's been a case where he's been much better on the road than at home. A 208 road ERA compared to a 692 ERA at home. With every one of his wins coming on the road thus far this season. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, but he has given up 12 home runs this season. Four of them in 56 at a third innings on the road. Eight bombs and 40 in a third innings at home. And the Cubs, they just don't back them up with a very good bullpen as they want to trading away a lot of pieces at the deadline. Brandon Eves has been relatively soft for the team. He's posting up a 3-1-4 ERA. Michael Rucker has been beginning to round into form a little bit. And Eric Yeoman, he's not terrible, but when you're relying upon someone like Emmanuel Rodriguez, Sean Newcomb, who's got north of a 9 ERA, these are not guys that you want to be taking a look at. Meanwhile, for the Toronto Blue Jays, credit where credit is due. This bullpen has been a little bit better. Adam Simber has been a little bit touch and go, but Yimmy Garcia, Anthony Baz, Tim Meza, David Phelps, and then you've got the closer in Jordan Romano. All these guys are posting up really a sub-3 ERA. Romano's been able to get 27 saves, by the way, and the Toronto Blue Jays, they do a good job of being able to back up 
They're armed with a very good offense as Flagler Jr. has been able to do it all season long at 350 on base. He has went deep 26 times. He had a nice power surge about two to three weeks ago. He has cooled off ever since then, but has been still able to do a solid job of being able to move the line for this team. Lourdes Gurriel, Alejandro Kirk, both hitting in that pocket about a 300 match Chapman. He started to cool down a little bit as well, but still has been able to supply the deep ball 24 home runs this season, but hitting right around at 200 over the last 30 days. Remy Altapia, along with Bo Bichette, these guys are able to move the line. They're having a little bit of down seasons, and you've got to feel like the Blue Jays, they're going to be able to pick up their offense a little bit. It's been a little bit dormant the last few weeks, but you take a look at the Chicago Cubs and not having Patrick Wisdom out there. That winds putting them in a tough spot as really Wilson Contreras is your lone power hitter as Contreras has been able to do a nice job being able to crank out 20 home runs and he's got right around about a 350 on base, which that has been solid for the team. And then you've got C.A. Suzuki, Alfonso Rivas, Christopher Morel, Nick Madrigal, all in between about a 240 to a 255. And then Enap, 353 on base. But you lack a lot of pop with regards to the Cubs as well. So I did wind up saying my total at a 7.8. This is a spot in which I think both pitchers are going to be performing very well. But I do think that the Blue Jays knife into that Cubs bullpen. So I want to take the run line of the Jays. And I'm going to be taking a look at the under. And that will wrap things up for the Tuesday edition of the Baseball Betting Show. Now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. A big thanks to Holden Kushner. Does a great job with the Denver CityCast. He joined me in the last segment. If you do like to from this fine podcast, Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at Junior underscore one Keep in mind, letters CM. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, and that means I'll be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Yeah.